0: Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Erin Peterson, Partner and Global Talent Acquisition Consultant with People Results. In each episode, Erin interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA Today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Hi, Big Fish listeners. If you've always worked in a corporate
1: recruiting or in the agency or RPO world, you may not be aware of the unique challenges that a private equity firm environment brings to a recruiting leader. They have essentially a basket of companies all under the same umbrella with an extremely high set of expectations for speed and quality of talent delivery. Melissa Mounts is the leadership talent and diversity leader for private equity firm GTCR based in Chicago, and you're about to get a window into her intense recruiting leader role. But before that, a quick reminder about our sponsor, ATAP, the professional association for those who are serious about growing their TA career and growing their network. You've heard me say before that one of the reasons I love this organization is that they are intentionally building a truly global network of TA professionals. And in fact, you'll have a chance to experience that on September 2nd, 2020, when they are hosting a Follow the Sun TA conference all day, moving from presenters in Australia and Asia to Europe and eventually to the US to share ideas and celebrate Global TA Day together. Great idea, right? I think it is too. So you can find more information about that and membership at ATAP by visiting atapglobal.org. That's A-T-A-P-G-L-O-B-A-L dot O-R-G. And now on to Melissa Mounts of GTCR. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool, episode 24 with Melissa Mounts of GTCR. You are gonna love today's conversation, and especially because I have known so many talent acquisition professionals and leaders who have said to themselves, and maybe others, maybe me, before, that they would love to lead talent acquisition for a private equity organization, primarily because I think of the perceived variety of the types of roles that they'd get to work on the fact that it's not just one industry it's typically multiple industries and so we i'm going to test all of those assumptions today because i think it'll be really interesting melissa can kind of give everybody a reality check of what it's really like and we'll learn more about all that in a second but without further delay melissa welcome to big fish in the talent pool Thank you, Erin. First of all, um, I do want to talk about the scope of your current role. That's super important, I think, just to give everyone a context for how you're operating today. But you also have a really diverse um, history in terms of your career. So I want to get there as well. And of course, you and I have worked together in a former life. So I am especially excited to talk about that and how it kind of formed your view of of how to lead TA today. kind of Give us the overall of GTCR. What's their mission, their market position? What does your your role entail? And then, you know, maybe some numbers and facts around uh, your accountabilities. How many business units, how many geographies, how many hires annually, that sort of thing? Sure.
2: So GTCR is a mid market private equity firm. We are based in Chicago, one office in Chicago. And we were founded in 1980. So I think a fun fact is we were the second private equity firm um, in the U.S. And I believe we had one of the biggest funds at the time back in 1980, which was, I think, around $65 million, which doesn't um, seem like a lot in today's market uh, when funds are in the billions of dollars. So, but you know, over that time in that forty-year history, uh, we've you know seen a lot of different economic cycles, and um, the investment you know strategy has has you know held uh, in a very similar fashion uh, throughout those years. We have coined the leader strategy as a differentiator um, for for GTCR. And what that really means to us is finding and partnering with exceptional management leaders in our core domains. Um, We're identifying, acquiring, and building market-leading companies then through transformational acquisitions and organic growth uh, within those companies. So to break that down, we have a very, very, a firm view of uh of, of exceptional talent and how that makes all the difference in the outcomes of the portfolio companies that we're investing in. So, I think that my attraction to GTCR and um and the role that I play there is very very core to the strategy and what we believe in and what, you know, is a differentiator in private equity.
1: Well, yes, indeed. And, you know, I think most people are attracted to talent acquisition because it's a critical function. But boy, it sounds like uh it's that and even more at GTCR. So that makes a lot of sense. Um So I'd love to dive into talking about that leadership profile and how you assess the talent that you're considering and what they need to be able to possess that maybe is different from what other companies view. And we will get there. But just real quick, so... Roughly how many hires annually? Do, do you have a, a, a typical year or is it just always different depending on the portfolio company?
2: It's very different and it's cyclical with the investments and you know the transactions that we're doing. So I think in terms of some of my other roles where that, you know, that metric of the number of hires was, you know, very a very key metric in how you scaled and uh, built your talent acquisition functions. This is very different. Um, because we utilize talent in many different ways. Um, you know, for us building our networks of experts, uh, they can be leveraged as advisors during a diligence process when we're evaluating a company. Uh, they can be leveraged as board members. So, um, you know, very involved in, in building out um, the boards and also diversifying our boards. And they can also be leveraged as those CEOs or part of the leadership team. So it really varies um, in terms of that. I personally don't have responsibility for um, our firm hiring. So that is um, some of my colleagues handle our firm hiring. And so my view is externally focused into our portfolio companies and with our investment teams as they evaluate different, uh, different transactions.
1: Okay. So a true focus on leadership talent yes, and uh, and diversity, as I understand it. So um, we'll talk about that as well. But you're no stranger to the private equity world. You uh, were previously at Baird Capital. I'm just curious about the fact that I, I believe at Baird, you were actually placed on the boards of two of their portfolio companies. Can you talk about what that's like? I'm Pretty sure that my listeners would like to know what you know being in the room where it happens, so to speak, <laughs> would be very interesting.
2: Absolutely, yes. It was um, it was a great experience to be involved in those board roles. Um, the boards uh, in private equity are very different than public company boards. So you know, in private equity, depending on the structure of the ownership, uh, for for Baird and most of the companies at GTCR, we have majority ownership. So very different from even a venture capital um, backed syndicate of investors and, of course, very different from a public company. So it's more about strategy. It's more about surrounding that CEO and executive team with uh, different either functional experts or also uh, market leaders people who have maybe the viewpoint of the customer groups that that company serves or even if there is a transformation within the company to let's say digital transformation that you have that that type of expertise on the board, so it really becomes more in a, an advisory capacity mm-hmm. and um, and so you know of course, you know heavily anchored by the financials and the performance of the company and the goals that the private equity owner has, but, you know, really strategizing and working with the management team and being very collaborative, you know, within the boardroom. So I think it was, you know, very, yeah, consultative and and advisory, but a great experience to see how that all plays out and to see how, you know, as companies are growing and trying to scale their business, how those different points of view can accelerate and assist the uh, the management team.
1: So I'm picturing that you're sitting in a board meeting and somebody says, "You know what we need? We need a new CFO," and all eyes look at you. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs>
2: like you're supposed to come so, up with sometimes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, or it may be that um, I remember one time sitting in a in the boardroom. And seeing our operational expenses, you know, and looking at the financial detail of that and, you know, digging into that. And they were higher than normal and digging into that. And then looking at what are some of those, you know, root causes? And there was a big turnover issue. So as you start to get into, you know, some of those types of that, that analysis, you know, in, in that scenario, uh, it was traced back to the talent acquisition strategies and how were we looking at how were we evaluating talent for a very critical uh, customer facing type of role, right? That was an hourly um, worker role. So, you know, you're looking at this, that is not a salary role and not a very high paying role, but very, very critical to the success of the business and if you have high turnover there, then obviously that's going to increase the cost. So I think looking at some of those things and being able to, I find that human capital in, in these areas of the portfolio company. And, and I think this is probably a theme that we'll talk about today, Aaron, is how do you really understand the business implications? Because sure, you know, many times you need, um, new talent. Uh, but it's more around to capability building and, you know, knowing what the company's core capabilities are and also understanding where that transformation is going and then how the capabilities may be shifting in the organization. And is that organization set up to really deliver on that? Yeah. So, so I think it's, you know, it's less about the executive placement in some of those scenarios and especially in the boardroom, and it is more about the business implications and scaling and being able to deliver than the future state.
1: You started your career in Chicago with Motorola, uh, now Motorola Solutions. Is that right? Correct. Okay, and uh, that was not in an HR or recruiting capacity. So you know, later on, you went to um, EY, then Cap Gemini, uh, PNC Bank, Aon Hewitt, where you and I worked together. Abbott, Baird Capital, and now GTCR. I think I got that uh, timeline correct, didn't I? You did. Okay, awesome. But the vast majority of those roles was talent acquisition and HR. So how did you make the transition from really 18 years in business and then moving into um, to talent?
2: So you're right. My... Um... Early, early stages of my career were, you know, nothing to do with, with human capital or HR. I was in global strategy organizations with Motorola, traveled the globe with them, um, which was just great experience and such a great academy company, and then got my MBA and went into consulting. So I was in the telecommunications group at Ernst & Young and uh, was a road warrior consultant, a business process transformation consultant. And so I think that that really gave me a great uh, view into large organizations across all functional areas, and especially when they were transforming their business processes for either major shifts that were happening in the market, competitive landscape, be more nimble, um, to accelerate with technology. So really getting in and digging in and understanding how the businesses work and having exposure across a, a large number of uh, blue chip companies was just super valuable. Um, at, at that point of my career, I always know when I, um, how long I've been in human capital because I was expecting my my first child and he is now 19 and going into his second year at um at uh, Georgia Tech and so I was a road warrior consultant and needed to get off the road and one of the partners that I worked with at Ernst & Young she was becoming the chief people officer and in North America, and she said, you know, called me up on maternity leave and said, hey, Melissa, would you like to come work for me Hmm. Um, in this new role that I'm taking on? uh, You won't have to travel. And I said, great, I'm in. (laughs) So
1: (laughs) you had me at, you won't have to travel, (laughs) right? (laughs)
2: That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really know much about what that role would entail, but I relied on a lot of the knowledge of businesses that I had, My ability to uh, understand business processes, to accelerate business processes, to look at how technology enabled, to look at, you know, who is performing those tasks. And so the people aspect and the skill sets of the people performing those tasks or how they were going to shift or maybe get a different scope, you know, with with some of the, the transformational change. And so we really shifted how our projects were staffed.
1: And my guess is you're hooked now. I'm hooked now. (laughs) I'm hooked now. So you talk about data-driven executive assessment. I heard you say at the beginning that really kind of the the leadership strategy is critical to GTCR's success. How do you think about and, and what's your best advice on Assessment overall, but especially executive assessment.
2: So I think there's a lot of you know different ways um, to do executive assessment. I, I think the biggest thing for, for you know in my learnings is the consistency around it, and you know definitely everybody having the same uh, criteria and, and scorecard for for the assessment. GTCR, we are looking for um, leaders who created value, equity value during their careers. And we're really looking on people who really understand the industry that they're in, have a very, very strong network, um, know the ecosystem, know where the white space potentially is within that industry area. There's a lot of criteria and, um, and we spend a lot of time with executives. So the amount of time that the investors are are spending with with the executives that we may eventually hire, or even have a, a, a new co leader, strategy management team formed around, um, sometimes those are eighteen month, two year relationships that are building. So it's, it's a very different timeline uh, than you would look at from an executive search perspective or a vacancy. Now, if there is a vacancy or within the portfolio or a, a new leadership role that we need to fill, that's a little bit of a different um, process. From a leader strategy, new management team, formulating around an investment, that can be a, a very long-term relationship that's built and through a lot of uh, discussion and meeting and talking about different investments and getting the, the various points of view and really understanding if cultural fit is, is there with, uh, with the investment team as well.
1: What I don't hear you saying is standardized assessment or an personality profile or a something that is objective more than it is subjective. So let me check that. So at this point, anyway, mm-hmm. y- your firm is not using any, you know, I would call st- structured assessments, online testing, that sort of thing. Correct.
2: And we have used those in, in some cases. So uh, one of the CEOs within one of our portfolio companies that I'm working with right now is they're bringing on uh, a member of the leadership team. Uh, they do have a an assessment that CEO has has been very familiar with. And um but I think the the caution that I have with with assessments, while I do think that they are can be a very, very valuable tool. Again, they aren't the, you know, the end all be all. It's not the answer key. It is about what you will find out in six months time about that person. Um, how they operate, how they react under stress, how they lead different aspects about them. Uh, you know you will you you can you can accelerate that, right, and get a peek into that ahead of time. or you know those things will unveil themselves slowly as you just get to know somebody and and work with them. So I think that if when firms or organizations are using it, to really understand you know we all have our strengths and our weaknesses and our uh, personality preferences. And if that's going to be a good fit with the role or with the rest of the team um, in terms of complementary skill sets, uh, that's the way one of our one of our CEOs is leveraging that right now to ensure that they are building a balanced uh, team. Uh, in terms, and they're not just recruiting mini-me's or you know same same uh, in terms of somebody's personality or uh, or work preferences
1: say that's a good lead in to diversity. So that's the other part of your role is to be in charge of diversity. So the hiring of mini me's is one thing that is to be avoided at all costs. I think we all know that. And so especially for organizations that are looking to hire people with different points of view, different life experiences, um, different opportunities in their past. So what does that really mean for you? What, what should we, if we were following you around with a video cam and your role as diversity leader, what would we see you doing?
2: Yeah, so um, three areas. One is firm diversity. Um, the second is portfolio leadership. And the third is um, board diversity. So so those are the three areas that we're focused on. I mean, obviously, the, the data is extremely compelling as to why we should have diverse teams. I think financial services broadly as an industry has always been lagging. Um, some of the other industries in terms of the diverse makeup of their leadership teams.
1: They're, they're just one step ahead of tech right now, though.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Okay. Go you ahead. Did. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so I do, you know, I, I think that there's, there's a lot that we need to, that we need to be able to do, you know, to really feel like we have a, have a good, that we're addressing the diversity challenges appropriately. Um, but, you know, one of the things, right? If you were to follow me around, I think that this, uh, that our COVID environment has made executives very, very accessible, right? We're not on airplanes and, you know, all of our free time. Uh, so that has been something to deepen our pipelines and our network of executives that are ethnically and, uh, gender diverse. Again, forming those, those relationships and getting those introductions, um, partnering with some great organizations too that are very financial services oriented. Board diversity is a big area that I'm focusing on right now and one that we're making a lot of great progress in. And, and the, again, the accessibility of the executives, I think are, is at an all time high right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, good to know. And uh, I know some organizations are actually taking the step of accountability around diversity, so literally measuring it and holding uh, people's compensation, at least a portion of their compensation, back if they're for the area, they're not responsible if they're not meeting diversity metrics. So h- how how bolder recommendations are you making as the leader of diversity for your organization?
2: Yeah, I think that we have um, we have great collaboration around around this and you know, we're all aligned in in that it will make us stronger. GTCR itself, we're a hundred employee organizations, so sometimes the numbers, right, just around very, very large organizations and how you can you you just have huge hiring volumes as sure. we've talked about you know yeah. from some of my corporate experiences. So I think that you know it depends on the scale and scope of what you're working with, and also just um, sure the you know the accountabilities within the organization, how that's uh, manifesting itself in in different departments. But I think you know I've seen you know more larger organizations really halting to some of the things that, you know, tying it into some of the incentives that you're talking about. I think for us, we are able to select our board members and appoint our board members. So the accountability is is all on on us. And you know, having that alignment and having that that shared initiative and direction, um, it makes it very easy. Sometimes smaller organizations, right, it's it's easier to just mobilize and, and get it done. That's what we're doing, you know, within GTCR.
1: The leverage of uh, greater control it makes a lot of sense. Uh, new topic, metrics. You taught me so much when we worked together about metrics. In fact, shout out to Andrew Godomsky of Aspen Analytics. I've been in touch with him since you and I worked together. I think his work is fantastic. And there's so many good technologies right now that are able to help, talent acquisition leaders really figure out what's working and what's not. So I'm just curious, are there any new technology platforms that you've discovered or any new tips or tricks, anything new regarding scorecards? What, what's on your mind these days in terms of what to measure and how to measure it?
2: The, the big measurement that I've always uh, seen is uh, in, in terms of you know your, your recruitment funnel, and just how you're converting and and how much you have coming in at the top of the funnel. Uh, I really I, I think that also it finding that one to many fit in organizations is is more of the metric that I have always been very focused on. And again, my role today is very different than than the large talent acquisition organizations. So the metrics take on a, a very different type of of flavor, very different from, from the corporate listeners. I've always, um, bristled against how many applicants are coming in and how many are actually getting hired. Even I think we've even laughed in, in different strategy sessions around would we ever have to have another applicant coming in or do we already know who those applicants are and we're just not leveraging them in the right way or applying them against the right roles? So um, that's one of the metrics that I think is really revealing. And, you know, it's just uh, kind of the overall efficiency of those of those applicants within the the positions that uh, that you have within the organization. Or are you building from the rec level up the applicant pool? Because, you know, those those talent pools that you're building and finding the common denominators that you're looking for in either culture or industry fit, or broad skill sets, and then being able to apply those into many different roles and into the organization that that candidate could be a fit for. So that's one of the, the metrics or the measures that I find you know extremely interesting and valuable because I think it speaks to the efficiency of a talent acquisition organization.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I have to say the the one I'm liking these days is sourcing efficiency as measured by the fewest number of candidates sourced to hires. You
0: mm-hmm. know, esen- essentially mm-hmm.
1: it's, it's not about how many we interviewed, it's how many got presented because mm-hmm. we thought they were a good fit. And then if we can get that in as small as possible... It just ends up being this uh, happy hiring manager scenario, and a heck, yes. heck of a lot less effort for the the yes. hiring team as well.
2: Huge quality, huge quality. I can remember Aaron, one of our clients at Ann Hewitt, asking us how many requisitions should a recruiter be handling. What is that metric? What is that mark? And as we saw. Um, you had so many applicants coming into the system. It really wasn't, you know, it was, it was kind of the, the wrong metric in terms of number of requisitions because it really started to turn into how many candidates, um, applicants can a recruiter manage? Yeah. And if you had, you know, 20, uh, requisitions that a recruiter was managing and you had 200 um applicants to each of those requisitions, then it becomes not humanly possible right, right. <laughs> to to manage, you know, yeah. that that very, very large, you know, talent pool.
1: You got to ask the right question basically and avoid the proverbial black hole that comes with too many candidates for the role that you're trying to recruit for. I'm with you. Here's a question I ask every one of my podcast guests and it's a little personal. So feel free to sort of make it your own if you're comfortable and that is mistakes. So I think sometimes aspiring talent acquisition leaders look at leaders of today and think their path was a nice straight line that just went straight up and maybe don't understand that there probably were a few bumps along the way that they learned from. I'm just curious, would is there any that you recall that you'd be willing to share? Something specific that you really learned from?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, I, I've been with uh, a few different organizations. And I think culture, right, is, um, was a huge one for me. There was really making sure that you are, you are entering into a culture that you can really thrive in, I think is, is very, very key. And I think that sometimes there are aspirational cultures in organizations and as a talent acquisition leader, there can be a, a transformation afoot there with culture, or it can be just an aspiration and how you're hiring into that culture, even candidates, right? That yeah. you're that you're responsible for hiring into that culture. That, you know, you really have to you have to believe that and embrace it and, you know, and it has to resonate with you as well. So it's hard to sell something you don't believe in. And so I think that especially for talent acquisition leaders, you have to be very uh, honest and open with yourself and ensure that culture is aligned with your own personal beliefs and values, and that you, you, you can sell that to candidates and um, and be very authentic and genuine about that. Yeah,
1: the authenticity is, is huge. And so there's an ancillary point there, and that is uh, when creating the employment brand or describing and maybe, you know, kind of going in a new direction with employment branding, that aspirational culture is important. I remember working on employment branding for the very first time for a company that I was leading talent acquisition at. And I went to the business and got all of the talking points, all of the descriptors that they would put toward it. And then we sort of aggregated it and came up with some themes and then went back out to the business in true change management format, right? Get the buy-in and make sure that we're checking with our customers And what we came up with was a number of the business folks who originally had given input, now we're looking at the culmination of the descriptors for the employment brand. And they were saying, well, that's not exactly the way we are yet. We strive to be that way, but you got to make, you got to be careful because we don't want to promise to candidates that they're going to step into this culture that isn't quite there yet. And I thought, oh my goodness, but if you don't evolve or if you keep recruiting the same people who fit into the old culture, just because you're afraid that some are going to be disappointed when they step in, it's not quite there yet. How will you ever evolve? It's a chicken and egg thing, right? So um, so I don't mean to overcomplicate your point. I'm just saying it's so relevant and it's so nuanced. Yeah. So you have to believe it yourself, but then you have to get everybody else to believe it.
2: <laughs> in that's matter- right. That's right. And be honest that there is, you know, that there is a transformation afoot. So I think that's the that's the other thing that, hey, you know, here's where we're at in the evolution. Here's what we're doing. And and being able to yeah represent that in an authentic way.
1: Well, what do they say? Culture eats strategy for lunch. Is that is that, That's that right. phrase? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so uh, we're we're almost out of time, Melissa. But I I'd, I'd need to know what what advice. You know, what's your sort of big advice points that you give to an ambitious recruiter who wants to advance their career, be a leader in talent acquisition. Somebody who came to you and said. Melissa, what do I need to do? What, what's your answer?
2: So I think that talent acquisition is so core to the growth of the business and uh, you have to be really leading with that business lens and, um, and be partnering with the, with the business leaders in that vein. This isn't uh, just nice kind of motherhood and apple pie types of initiatives. These are, this is critical business functions uh, to be able to grow and, 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 scale a business. So I think that, you know, talent acquisition leaders who are extremely, um, successful understand that and they, they act as business leaders. They speak as business leaders and they know what the outcomes of their efforts and their, and their team's efforts are, how they impact the business. So I think it, it all goes back to it, 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 these are critical business processes. And some companies can't achieve their growth uh, without, you know, achieving those, uh, the human capital plan. That's the advice that I say is you're a business leader, structure and, you know, put all the context of your function in in that light.
1: All right. Well, great advice indeed. Thank you for that. And boy, it's just been a pleasure not only catching up with you, but also, you know, just hearing how all the great work you've done and all the, the variety of talent acquisition and business roles that you have um, accomplished have culminated into this really great role that you have today. So good luck to you in all of oh, your challenges at GTCR and wherever that takes you and thanks so much for helping my listeners uh, understand what it's like to really be Melissa Mounts. <laughs>
2: oh, goodness. You're welcome. Um thank you Aaron. It was great to reconnect with you. Congratulations on your great podcast and um and having me as a guest
0: oh it's my pleasure we hope you enjoyed this episode of big fish in the talent pool this podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ere.net and we would love to hear your feedback you can email Aaron directly at e-p-e-t-e-r-s-o-n at people-results.com you can also follow Aaron on twitter At Erin McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.